made on Jajaburung country. This is Not, Not the, the Babysitter, babysitter a show from Women's Health Loddon Mallee about fatherhood and breaking free of gender stereotypes. I'm Ella Burke. Today on the show, we're exploring some of the things men are doing to support each other fulfil their aspirations as parents. You'll hear about rites of passage camping trips, a male opera singer with a two-year-old, and what it was like for one dad to talk to his teenage daughter about her first period. What we value in a parent or caregiver should be the same regardless of gender. After all, when it comes down to it, it's about children being safe, respected and nurtured. But outdated ideas about the roles of mums and dads can get in the way of people creating healthy relationships with their children and partners. And even though most people agree the cliches of the emotionally distant father and doofus dad need to go, change takes effort and support. Things are changing, and today we'll hear from Damien and Ian, who are both part of a group called Castlemaine Rites of Passage, which hosts men and boys on three-day camping trips. Well, it's not just a camping trip. Here's Ian. There's a lot of different things that we cover. We, we Before we go away for three nights, I mean, typically we've gone for three nights and three days. Before that happens, um, we have an information evening with the parents or the carers, like the key adults of those boys, and the boys are not present at that evening. So we, we set the scene about two months before um, with the man who will be accompanying the, the child, the teenager, normally the father, but sometimes we have uncles or other sort of father-like figures. Um, and uh, and, us- and usually their mother or their, you know, another significant adult because we, we realize the importance of, of educating and supporting the adults who are both going away for the pa- rite of passage and those who are staying behind. So the three, the three days and nights that we're away, um, we, we start off with quite a lot of alone time. We, re- we put people into a, a safe, a contained area, like a physically contained area, but it's, it's pretty wild and pretty bushy, and, but people are on their own. So we throw them in, both the adults and the teenagers, we throw them into an environment where they really have to get in touch with themselves, whether it's just being cold or uncomfortable or scared or, or quite often quite joyful, in, in fact, to be in the, in the forest at night. Um, and then after that sort of immersion or that, that sort of uh, quick dip into the, into the cold and the dark, um, then the rest of our time together is, is more working in groups, talking in groups and, and doing things in groups. And we're trying to demonstrate through our, our approach as leaders we're trying to model and demonstrate the way that men can work together in a caring and creative way and also and to go deeply into things and, and not not be superficial. So this this is where the team is so important because 
we have on on any given weekend we would have two or three men who work primarily with the teenagers the teenagers don't spend a lot of time with their dads or their or their father figure um they're actually during that time they're taken more under the wing of the other leaders and there are also uh, some men who who are not uh the men who are going for the first time they're not the leaders but there are men who are also working together and they're learning uh, from us as leaders as well about uh what to focus on how to how to be caring how to be involved um how to not worry too much about the future so there's there are we're looking we're developing trust communication caring attitudes and and i would say a, a maturity we're encouraging maturity and we we get into discussions about with the teenagers we'll get into discussions about you know if you're faced at school with someone teasing you because you don't want to drink alcohol be you know you don't want to drink under age or you you don't you want to resist some of those teenage pressures we will have, have some of those discussions we'll have discussions about bullying for example on on one occasion some it turned out without being planned but someone who had been bullied and someone who was the bully that both teenagers turned up on the same weekend and i th- i think we made some progress when you know according to the other people involved like parents i i think we probably have made a, a you know a, a sort of specific achievement there mm. but most of what we're looking at what mostly what we're trying to achieve is an immersion in a different space a physically different space and an emotionally different space where people can see the possibilities of doing things differently Damien is one of those people who knew he wanted to do things differently to how his dad had done things when he was a child when you think about your childhood how would you describe the messages or the impression you formed of what it meant to be a dad you know since i uh i've really early on i became the father of my father uh we my parents split up when i was 6 years old and for some reason i two two brothers one boy is older one boy is younger and the other two boys went to live with my mum and there was this instinctual instinctual feeling for me that my dad needed protecting and and it's interesting because i looked back over that and i looked at it when my daughter was 6 and i you know my other daughter's 2 and and i looked at well, what makes that decision but that i remember that being a very clear and strong decision for me and and then pretty much all of the acts that took place after that well, not all of it he did a lot of fathering as well but there was this sense that I was fathering this birth. Mm, a lot to take on for for a child. Yeah, but I, it's 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 like I chose to do it. Mm. If I look back at it, it was a decision of like I go this guy needs looking after and then that's how I behave and yeah, and then he he behaved a bit like a child at that point. Yeah. Mm. And so when you think about your aspirations as a dad um what were the main gaps that you sensed when you thought okay I'm taking this on 
who do I want to be as a dad? And I want to be a dad. Yeah. You know, that was very clear. Um, and yeah, sorry to cut you off there. No, go for <laughs> it. It was, Jump it, was quite, it was quite significantly, I want to be the opposite of what that experience was. And, um, and I guess it's, it's difficult. Now, I want to speak honestly, but at the, same, at the same time, I love I love my dad and I really accept him. Um, and I accept everything that happened in that point. But for me, it was like, clearly, I don't want that dad. Uh, I want to be a father. I want to be a role model. I want to be somebody that can be respected and looked up to and, and be there and be reliable. Damien heard about rites of passage through a friend and knew he wanted to experience it. But between running a building company and a martial arts school, it was a few years before he took the plunge, attending as a solo man. So the first thing was an information night. So we'd meet in Carpermain and we'd be informed on, on, on what it is to, to, the, to the best of their knowledge because a lot of it's... Um, held quite close. Uh, we sort of bounce between these two words, secret and sacred. Um, and we, you know, we try to, we try to say, look, this is not secret, it's sacred. But some of it's quite secret as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. I don't want, I'm not, um, I'm not fishing for you to disclose anything. No, um, no, sure. Yeah, that you don't want so to. I, I guess yeah, I'm interested, okay. like when you walked into that room, like what did you see and how were you feeling? Yeah, so I saw I saw men and women in the in the information night. They uh, I remember I remember there's a there's one guy who's now a dear friend of mine. Um, and I remember seeing him, I think he held a part of that information night and I saw this guy that was so strong and solid and so clearly here for this moment and here for these people. And I remember checking in with myself and, and going, are you for real? And, and a part of me going, you know, questioning and going, you better be for real because this is really, what I'm seeing is really powerful. And, and then I found out that the God is completely legit. <laughs> he's, he's one of the strongest, um, you know, solidest heartfelt guys that I know. And he's, and he, he's like a rock for, Main Rites of Passage, and he, he's completely for real. And what I saw was was a, a real man in in real power, really listening. And that it was that guy, you know, it was, it was that guy that, that grabbed me and went, "Wow, this is this there's men like this here." And, and for a guy like me and and my father, you know, I'm always looking for role models and. I kind of I don't let them slip either. If I see one, I I, I really try and absorb what characteristics of that man that I'm finding attractive at that time. And and this guy was like, wow, yeah, I want to be that dad. I want to be that guy. I want that role model for my community. And the fact that he 100% is that guy is just you know thrilling. And that's just one guy. Um, So there's this immense resource in Castlemaine Rapid Passage. this guy and other guys holding this process together so for me the process I went through as a single man without a without a a son um Castle Main Rights Passage offers this 
as well. So there's, there's places for single men that want to be initiated, that want to go through the initiation process. And then so a, a big a big part of that process and the weekend for, for those men is, well, okay, acknowledging that I'm a man, at some point in time I was initiated, but what did that initiation look like? You know, there was a rite of passage. Uh, I chose it more than likely. Uh, and what did it look like? And for a lot of men, that was a pretty risky process. And for me, certainly that was a very risky process. And to be a, a young boy with the, the power and the energy of a young boy, deciding that he needs to become a man and, and making that process up with what he's seen around him. You know, we've just sort of discussed what, what I'd seen around me. And so, you know, my, my rite of passage, yeah, was pretty wild. Mm. I think every, you know, every leader man or every man witnessing those boys on that weekend, some of these older boys was just like, really could feel the gravity of, of some of the decisions that were clearly being made by these boys. And, um, you know, in a sense, you know, I think there was probably times where we came down pretty hard on them or, you know, really, really pulled them up and, you know. Uh, what kind of things would you pull them up on? Well, there, I remember there was, a, there was an incident where the behaviour had shifted in, the, in a couple of these boys uh, and we had, we sort of had eyes and ears for the possibility that they might bring substances or something into the camp. You know, it'd be pretty hard to, to bring a lot of stuff in. It'd be hard to bring pot in. It'd be hard to bring booze in, but there's stuff that they probably could have. So this discussion had been raised and then, you know, there was one, there was one night where a few of the boys had not been to bed and they sort of got pretty rowdy and so, you know, we sort of had to address it quite directly. Um, now, it turns out it was the process that stirred them up and in a positive way, in a sense, like, you know, they weren't destructive. Um, I mean, it was just, it was clearly the process and, and, then, the, and then pulling them up brought up trust issues, um, brought up abandonment issues, uh, typical issues for some of these boys already. Um, but then from memory, it, it sort of resolved with a, a sense of, of understanding that they were watched, that they were being watched, they were being observed, um, they were being observed by, by men that we're going to call something out if they saw it. So it had a net positive effect in the end. But mm -hmm. I remember that being, a, you know, I remember that being frightening, you know, sort of a part of that group of, of, of calling those boys out. And um, Why and was it frightening? It was difficult because I didn't want to lose the trust of these boys. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to let them know that if we saw something, we we're going to question it, um, you know, for their sake. And for the sake of everybody else on the on the, the camp as well. Mm. Tell me what changed for you after your experience of that process. 
Were there things that you felt, you know, had been strengthened and other things that could be let go? How, how had you changed? Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing and something that continues to grow and develop is the power of being heard. Uh, and the understanding of what it means to be heard and how to hear others. It's something that can continually develop. But after that, after the first rite of passage, it was something that I could tangibly recognise when a person was listening. I knew the feeling, I knew what it was. And then, so I knew how to better perform that act for somebody else. And you know, it is, it's, it's one of the most powerful things I think you can do for a person or with a person to really hear them. What does this space feel like? Is, how does it feel to hear somebody and how does it feel to be heard? And I guess how it, how it doesn't feel to be heard is like that, you, that you're speaking words that are just bouncing off of a person or that they're coming out of your mouth and then disintegrating into into thin air, and 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 then how it how it does feel to be heard is that the person that you're engaging with is is willingly laying out and creating this space in between you and them, and and in a visual sense, that it's a space with a rug on it and some beautiful things, <laughs> and a adorned space. It's, it's a nice nice space and, and as as words come out of your mouth you feel you feel them lay and organize themselves in this space between you and this other person and they sit there and they stay there and they resonate and they glow and and they give you feedback and they give feedback to the person that you're sharing that space with. Um, and I guess that's a that's a visual expression of what that feels like to me. But that's it's something that I chase. It's something that, in a sense, I have a hangover from and I struggle to find in in my day-to-day, um, something I yearn for. And when I get it, I, I hold on to it and I, because it's, it's precious and I recognise it. And if somebody's got the space and the energy to hear me in that way, then, then I hold that person in high regard. Beautifully said. I love that image of the what's listening. It's the space with a rug on it. (laughs) (laughs) So what changed for Damien after this experience? Damien has two daughters, 13-year-old Gemma from a previous marriage and two-year-old Skylar with his wife Jess. When he came home, it wasn't easy to integrate what he'd learned about listening into his relationships with his wife or his children, particularly Gemma. I come back um, and then I convince my wife, Jess, that I want to hear her. And so put yourself in that situation, partner comes back and says, I want to hear everything. I want you to open up and I want to hear you. That's really challenging. Like that's like there's a big there's a lot of trust in that. 
Mm. And so I remember as that watching that trust come up and, and Jeff work with work around that feeling of trust that, oh, is he actually, is he actually here and wanting to hear me? Um, and then, and then do I, am I ready to be heard? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember, I remember the night, you know, that night of, of everything finding it, you know, it was, ter- it was turmoil for a few hours. It was up in the air and we we're in fights and arguments. I'm like, shit, I, I didn't want this transition to be like this. And it certainly wasn't my intention. But then, you know, there was a real beauty and a real connection on the other side of it. We just had to get to this, you know, establish, you know, what are you offering? And you've, you've left as this man, you've come back as this other man. What are you actually offering me here now? Um, and can I trust you? And are you going to be there in the morning to do to offer the same thing and next week and next month. So, yeah, that transition bashing back into relationship and family after the right of passage is, you know, you're in a beautiful space and you're, you know, but it's not easy. Mm. And I'm thinking as well about all those other pressures that exist in the world trying to funnel men into particular roles and, you know, how women perceive that as well and have expectations of the men in their lives to sometimes conform with those stereotypes or or roles and um it sounds like it was a beautiful shake-up <laughs> yeah. a beautiful shake-up of of patterns um and one thing that i'm very interested in is um equality between parents and how um parents share power and uh labor and and work in in that in the family so um how would you describe how you and your wife make decisions together like how do you decide on all that logistical juggling stuff of who's going to work when and um all those things that a family needs to move through and navigate how would you describe your decision making style as a as a partnership? Um, personally, you know, I've got a lot of experience with being really clunky with, with decision-making and, and saying well, what it is that I need in, in the relationship in regards to the family. Um, I recently just embraced the family calendar, which has been... <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's another tool that needs to be communicated really well as well. It's like... You know, and so just, you know, and how we practice that is, is, is drawing on the calendar anything that you need to do and then at least then you can see it and it's up for discussion. Um, yeah, so it's, it's on the calendar and then it's discussed and prioritised and I guess it happens consciously in that way. Um, and that's, that's just taken so many of the bumps out of family decision-making for me personally. It's there, it's up. I think in the past, I'd probably a trait of, my, of mine would be to make a decision and then not discuss it, or sweep my head under, or under the sand a little bit under the carpet and just and just go, well, I'll, you know, I won't talk about this thing that I want to do because I'm a bit scared of the consequences, or I don't really want to have the argument over it or the conflict around it, or or whatever. And I just noticed that the calendar took a lot of that away. Mm. brought that discussion up a lot quicker. 
Um, and do you feel like how you share power has changed over time and in relation to that uh, initiation process you went through? Yeah, well, it's still, it's, it all just revolves around um, creating a space to, to both be heard. And that's, that's, like I expressed before, I think that's probably the most powerful thing that I've taken out of that passage is that understanding of, of hearing somebody, creating the space to hear somebody and, and, and hopefully to hurt yourself. And so, so I guess that's the fundamental tool that I use in, in my family relationships. If you're not, if you're not there, then, yeah, I don't know, just going through the motion. And, um, Talk to me about that in relation to your fathering of your daughters, um, being heard, making space for others to be heard. Um, I noticed that your daughters' ages are kind of both stereotypically (laughs) or can be difficult ages. So, you know, you've got that young teenager, Mm. um, 13 years old, um, and a toddler. A two-year-old. Um, very different stages of development um, for your daughters. What kind of? How has that? Um, how has developing that skill around listening and hearing other people um, impacted your parenting? How has that changed your parenting? Well, it's primary, and especially for the for Chema, for the thirteen-year-old, um, that's, that's that's primary. We've got to get to a place to hear her, and I've got to find a place to hear her. And, and when I'm reacting, and when I'm pissed off, and when I don't like her shoes, I've got to somehow find a, a place to hear her. In that There's a, a a friend, one of the right the passage guys, a friend, John. He helped me in the past with, with, with three words and one knowledge, celebrate, and support. And so it's, these three words are part of the right that process, but I, they come up really strongly when when trying to you know, see and hear my wife or see and hear my, my kids. And, and I play with those three words and it's, it's difficult and every day I try to understand them better and better and, and they obviously seem to relate with each other. I remember when when Chema first had a period we were talking about some a party or something or an, and she kind of found it all a bit embarrassing and a bit I don't really want to do it. you know I don't want to make a thing about it scene and so uh, so it's kind of that that's how I reached her. It's like, well, we want to I want to mark this event. You know, personally I really want to mark this event for us and you know, I wanna I wanna acknowledge this time. I wanna acknowledge you in this time. I wanna celebrate this event and I wanna celebrate you and I wanna support you and I want you to know that I support you forever. And the and so I, you know, I try to play with that relationship with, you know, Chema's the one that's, 
she's really she's thirteen. She's, she's powerful. She's you know she's yeah really transitioning. But that's where my my focus is and my, my attention. My daughter Skylar, she's just a she's, she's just jumping and and running and she just needs to be seen. And but this is yeah, Chandler's that's a big focus. I think that's the that's that 13-year-old girl that um, takes a lot. So tell me what happened. Um, finish that story for me about the first period and what happened. Did Gemma come around to the idea? Yeah, yeah. We we all went to Melbourne and we, like, into the city and we made sure we did some shopping and we did some, some we did some, well, what do you want to do? And this is what she wanted to do. You know, she wanted to market with, you know, Going and staying in the city and and doing some buying some shoes and and, and going and doing some things and, and she felt great about that. She that she got to own that process. It wasn't some ritual that she didn't feel ownership over. Uh, and you know, and I feel I think she felt acknowledged and celebrated and supported, which is which is the goal. That's so great. I can see how happy you are as well when you think about that memory, <laughs> like how that seems like it was such a positive thing for your relationship. It was. Yeah. yeah. And look, it's, it's just as a, it, it, it's certainly, as a dad, I just, I'm trying not to mess up a lot of the time <laughs> as well. And so when you get a win, you've got to bank it. <laughs> you gotta celebrate it, don't you? <laughs> Some of you might find the idea of a man talking to his daughter about her period at least a little awkward. But really, people should be free from gender stereotypes. And why should dads be squeamish about a normal bodily function? Damien is clearly very open to improving his communication skills and deepening his relationship with his children, and actively looks for role models to show him how he might do that. For men, who can be pressured by stereotypes to be unemotional and not too interested in raising children, it can feel unsafe, or at the very least very uncomfortable, to step outside those outdated ideas. Meeting and connecting with people who support your aspirations as a parent is a powerful way to step into the vision of gender equality. Ian, who you heard from earlier, is a leader in the Rites of Passage Castlemaine group, and an important part of that leadership is modelling the attributes the group aims to nurture in participants. He helped establish the group in this area after experiencing the process with his eldest son in South Australia. But Ian's leadership grew quietly over time. Before he became a dad, it was a male opera singer friend who was the primary carer to his young son, who influenced Ian to take on more than 50% of the care of his own sons when they were young. You say that you did 50% or more of the raising of um, your boys. And I'm wondering... Um, whether that was common in your peer group at the time? Um, it was it was relatively rare to be doing more than half of the childcare, but 
there were a few men around me doing the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I was quite influenced by a friend in England before we left. Um, he, he had a son about um, two years older than my first son. So, uh, and he, uh, he's, he's an opera singer, but it, like most musicians, he's very part-time employed or his, his wife is uh, a lawyer. And so she was out earning the money and he was at home with his son. And we had great times together and it was, it was probably only, you know, if, if we went to play group, sometimes I'd go to play group with him. <laughs> so there was something very captivating about that for you. Oh, yeah. And look, I, yeah. I do. I still feel quite emotional about it. What's the emotion that uh, comes up there? I can mm. see that's really, um, mm. that's a strong memory for you oh well yeah, yeah. Look, um my first emotion is surprised i'm actually surprised <laughs> how, how um how evocative that is um it's kind of it's a bit of sentimentality you know those were it was you know it was sort of tough um you know but in a in a nice sort of bat- battling along together we were sort of working it out as we went along and we'd been um we we were we were involved in trade unions. We've been we've been sort of active with um, supporting strikes and protests against uh, the conservative government. And um, you know there was some fairly frontline sort of stuff going on, which um, you know, and it's it not so different in a way from what we've seen in the last couple of years with a lot more street protest. You know, it was mm. so. Um, I, 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 looking back, I, I know that I was, um, looking back, I know I was supporting him mm. probably more than I realized at the time. Uh, because when I, uh, I was self-employed then as I, as I have been most of my life. So I would drop around for a cup of tea in the middle of the morning and we'd, uh, we'd go to the shops together or we'd have a chat together. And looking back, I realized that I was, uh, probably offering him more than I, than I was aware at the time. Mm. Uh, but then when, when I had, when we had our first child and by that time we were in Australia, we didn't have that sort of peer support, but, um, my work continued to be quite flexible in, uh, and my partner is a social worker and fairly quickly got a regular job. So it was, it was a, it was a pleasure for me. It was straightforward for me to be the main carer quite often um and especially once my son was one year old or 18 months you know we could work in the garden together and we could uh, if he would sleep for 45 minutes in the middle of the day and i'd get some of my own work done <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh and then um uh he, as i mentioned his ne- brother was born about three and a half years later and um by that time uh well having two children actually made a lot more difference it's it's interesting to look back that with one child you tend to just stick him in the in the backpack or stick him in the push chair and it just comes along and does everything that i was doing uh once you have two it starts to change more uh and um, by the time we had our second child, we were, we were living in South Australia. But a similar pattern continued where um, we, we, 
we, my partner, the, the boy's mum and myself, we just tried to share out the load and we tried to share the money earning and we tried to share the childcare. But uh, it was very clear to me that I just, I didn't want to miss out on that. Ian wasn't actively looking for more connection with male role models, but in 2006, he took his eldest son on a rites of passage trip in South Australia. This was the beginning of what has grown into a strong interest in deepening his connections with his sons and other men. This became important when my oldest son was 13 or 14. Um, And in the school newsletter was a little thing that mentioned that there was a group who took fathers and sons away for a weekend to do a rites of passage. And um, almost inevitably, or it seems like it's really frequent that it's the mother who notices those things. So it was Rowan's mother who said to me, how about you and Rowan go on this? And um, I was a bit resistant at first uh, because I thought we were doing sort of father and son things anyway. Um, But I did look into it and it did sound good and I didn't know anyone else involved. But I I phoned up and I followed through and in uh, 2006, in, in the winter, my, my, myself and my 14-year-old son went away with a few other men and a few other teenagers. We went to a specific place in South Australia, a bit, a bit of bush where they, well, not a bit, they, a few hundred acres of bushland where they go once a year or twice a year and the, the fathers and sons with, with some leaders spend some time together, well, spend all of that 48 hours together uh, working quite intensively, sometimes alone and sometimes in a group. And it was quite special, but it wasn't life-changing. I didn't then immediately have a different relationship with my son. I didn't immediately say, oh, I've got to do more of this. We kind of went back to ordinary life in some ways, in most ways. But it did build a connection, not just with my son, but what it built a connection with my son that wasn't there before because we had that shared experience. And it built a connection with another man who was going through with his son, who's a a bit younger. Uh, And we've become lifelong friends for about 25 years or so. And it's kept me connected with some of the men who were the leaders of that as well. So it Mm. was quite influential. But that was in South Australia. And soon after... um, Soon after we went on that rites of passage, uh, we moved to Victoria. We moved to Castlemaine. And uh, a couple of years later, my second son was coming into that same age category. And by that time, I had joined a men's group because I was in a new town. I I had realized, I suppose, that um, connecting with other men in in an open and honest and caring way was important to me. By that time, I had three young, uh, young men of my own you know, who were aged about 13 and 10 and 7 years old. Uh, and in Castlemaine, there was already one small men's group going. And quite casually, I just got introduced to someone who was in that group. And I said, I'd like to join a men's group. He said, well, come along and, you know, it's come along in three weeks' time or something. And I did. Mm. I'm sure so for... I, I'm sure for some people the idea of a men's group is quite familiar, but I'm also sure that there's some people who've never heard of this idea before and might listen to <laughs> yes. that and think, 
what on earth goes on in a men's group? So perhaps could you just describe, you know, that experience and uh, typically what that would involve going mm. to a meeting of yeah. a men's group? Mm. Most most men's groups that I know about meet regularly. It can be weekly, but it's often fortnightly or monthly. Some men's groups are open to whoever turns up and on in that evening the business is completely a reflection of who's there. So you may be in a room with relative strangers. Um, but our men's group is different. We have a, from about from about 15 names on an email list, typically between seven and 10 of us will turn up once a fortnight. So we get to know each other fairly well. Some of us have known each other for many years now, but we don't necessarily see each other outside of that group. And during the three hours or so we have, each man will have uh, usually 10 to 15 minutes completely uninterrupted, uh, uninterrupted time to speak. Uh, but we encourage each other and we remind each other to speak about how we're feeling and what's really going on for us at that moment. So some men sometimes will tend to say, oh, well, I, I wanted to go to the beach at the weekend, but uh, we couldn't go because of the virus. But then we have to sometimes say to him, well, but how do you feel about that now? Because we're actually really encouraging people to be present in the present moment. And that can really lead to very deep and significant sharing. And although it doesn't happen every fortnight, but over these last 10 years I've been involved, we have, um, <laughs> sorry, I have to take a drink. Go for it. Mm. Over these last 10 years, we, we have periodically had men talk very deeply about um, all the range of issues that we know are issues. You know, one, one man in our group does uh, struggle with issues around the possibility of ending his life. Uh, another around alcohol and um, a number of men around relationships, you know, for, so, you know, it could be a case of not, not having enough sexual intimacy in relationship. It could be a case of not having a common agreement in relationship, you know, should I break up or, and occasionally, of course, we'd have the man who has separated from their partner and, and dealing with the emotions around that. So for my kind of men's group is one where we have a relatively close membership because we get relatively close to each other. We know each other's ongoing business. And it's, we don't call it secret, but we don't call it secret, but there is a degree of sacredness. Mm. There is, it is a special space. It is, it is a space where we expect to have a kind of private sharing um, we will we'll have a cup of tea to start with. We'll have we normally would have hugs at the end, although we have to do that at a, we have to do that at a suitable distance now. Like, mm. but we might. So, over these last few months, you know, some men still want to hug. Other men will will maybe uh, touch an elbow, and other men will keep a long way apart. So, we've we've found we've been able to deal with that quite well. Um, so there is there's a there's a sense of regularity and ritual about it without mm. it being without it being um, 
hidden. We, we don't, there's no pretense. We're not pretending about anything. We're not pretending that we just go off to the pub or, or, or that we just talk about the football. We're very honest about what we talk mm. about and what we do. It's a fascinating time because the, 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 the number of men and women, in fact, who want rites of passage has massively increased. The, and so I, I'm saying this is a really good sign. When I first did this with my first son almost 15 years ago, we, we, were, we were sort of 10 people in the midst of 10 million. Now there's thousands of people per 10 million. It's still a pretty small uh, per percentage of the overall population. But we've gone from being just literally a dozen people to being thousands of people who are thinking and acting differently on this. Mm. And that, that has to flow through in some ways. One of the things I noticed when I became a parent and um, I was the primary carer for um, around about the first 10 months um, and I think like a lot of people, even though my partner and I um, both strongly identify as um, having values, progressive values and wanting to implement um, equality and um, sharing of responsibilities and resources and opportunities, that like lots of people, um, we've been sort of nudged by systems along the way and have ended up in that very typical family structure of me working part-time and um, him working more um, full-time. I guess one of the things that struck me when I spent that time as a primary carer was, um, what's the best way to say this, was how complex, wonderful and challenging but rewarding caring for small children is. I just was struck by the fact that that seemed to be a very, um, I think because uh, caring for children is kind of uh, devalued in the mainstream culture that, you know, perhaps I'm wondering, uh, do these men who are making those trade-offs and trying to live up to this um, kind of harmful stereotype of the breadwinner and using money as a proxy for value and love in some ways, um, you know, is there a silence about the rewards and, um, yeah, just the richness and rewards of actually playing that role of caring for children? And you've spoken so beautifully about the pleasures of uh, spending time with young children. <laughs> you know, are men missing out on these pleasures? Have we kind of tricked yeah, them out like, of it? Yeah. Yeah, look, in a nutshell, that's that's right, that men if men knew what they were missing out on, they might, some of them probably would change. Uh, uh, it's, it's hard to know for sure. Mm. Um, but there's, there's certainly, there are some men, there's lots of men who think they might be missing out. And they, if they come away from, uh, if they come out of the period of having ch children <laughs> when if they find that they're 40 something and their children are 20 something and they have a sense of missing out they may or may not have really missed out but if they come away with a feeling of miss, missing out that's a problem because mm. that's something a lot of men express as a major factor in in their emotional state and uh i 
can say that I didn't miss out. I can, I've, I've still got, I have got regrets and I've got things I would do differently, but I, but I was much more there. Yeah. And that's, mm. that is, a, that's pretty special to be able to, to know that and to reflect on that. You've been listening to Not, Not the, the Babysitter, Babysitter, made by me, Ella Burke, for Women's Health Flodden Mallee and supported by the City of Greater Bendigo. And now, listeners, over to you. What's one thing that stood out for you in this episode? Are you happy with the time and relationship you have with your children and partner? Could your listening skills use some polishing? I hope this episode got you imagining the possibilities for doing things differently. This episode got me thinking about how we all need positive role models to learn from and that you might need to actively seek them out if you don't already have them in your life. Let us know how this episode landed with you by sending a voice memo to hello at whlm.org.au. 